0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas. And as always, welcome to my congregation here and uh, to all of our Saints Network family who are joining us today or whenever it is you may be listening to this broadcast Before we get into the Word, which is going to be in 1 Chronicles 21, I wanted to make just a couple of announcements. The first is that uh, next week is our fall seminar here for the Saints Network. We gather here in Dallas twice per year, in the spring and in the fall, and we have a convocation of network saints who come together to pray, to share the word, to fellowship with one another, and to mostly, most importantly, submit ourselves to the Lord together. It's kind of like a a feast of Adonai. God commanded his people to come together three times a year. We come together twice a year. But we see each other many other times in various locations throughout the world in the scope of the months of the year so I don't know how many times we actually meet together but um, these two seminars are important so I would encourage all of you to register on our website either uh, say you are attending virtually or say you are attending in person, this will help us, and um, it doesn't cost you any money, just a little bit of time and we look forward to being able to um, to to be uh, whatever God wants us to be next week. well of course we want to be that way this week too um, for those here in Dallas tonight this is Wednesday at 6 o'clock we're going to have a a prayer gathering now we've been praying for the Lord to not only touch our nation we've been coming in humility and in repentance for our nation and even for ourselves and uh, we've been doing that in sackcloth every day this week I don't know if any of you actually have sackcloth made of goat hair or camel, but the closest we come to it in Western society is something black. So um, tonight we come, hopefully honoring that, and we're going to pray. And as we always do on the week before seminar, the congregation here that is with us in Dallas, We'll go to the various locations where ministry will be occurring next week, the different rooms, the different points of um, ministry impartation. and we we pray and we bless it. we declare the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. That is such an important thing. And um, uh, we'll we'll be doing that tonight, and it's it's not a scripted thing, in other words, We don't have a book of prayer that tells you what to do from this time to this time. We just pray in the spirit here in the sanctuary. We hear from God. And as he leads us, we go to wherever the Lord would ask you to pray. Some of you may want to pray in the youth room. Some may want to go up in the chambers. Um, You may may want to go into the uh, media room, uh, the old choir room. may want to stay here in the sanctuary. Just be led of the Spirit. And that is tonight at 6. I did want to mention something about that prayer. This morning I was reading the words from our first Saturday prayer time. And I do want to thank Monica and Nancy, for their labors every month in gathering these words. I want to thank those of you who sent, sent them in, and there were a lot of powerful words. But as I read them, I noticed that there were some, there were a couple of things that really stood out to me that we may want to use in our prayer time this week, and then even tonight. There were three times in the words that were submitted that spoke about people being on their face, aimed at specific directions and um, what happened as a result. And I thought these were very instructive the first one came from this house i'm not going to mention names because once they start doing that that's a losing battle believe me and this individual from here said i saw a head bow down facing north the right ear of the person had light sh- shining on it and is turned to hear the wind in the east. The left ear facing west was in the darkness. Now that has significance with the other words that came in. <coughs> so for us, the north represents the throne. In our sanctuary, ours is kind of turned. Uh, the north really faces the 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 Zion Wall, but in biblical terms, the north represents promotion, and it represents the throne of God, it represents heaven, and the east represents the coming of the glory, how God is arising. Of course, then the west or the left represents the setting of it and the fulfilling of it just as right and left always do. So, someone facing north, the ear on the east is hearing the winds of the Lord. On the left, it was dark. Now, another individual saw I was facing west, and this wasn't from this house, this was from Florida. And suddenly, an all encompassing bright light filled my vision. It remained for a minute or so, and in the duration and in the intensity of it, I sensed such great joy. Now, facing the west, it shows that there's a bright light coming, whereas in the previous one, there was darkness in the west. And the great joy was felt at that, as that light came. One of our precious saints from the western part of France said a word, I was laying proscuneo covered by a purple blanket. I saw all the other saints covered by blankets of the same color. Now we know what purple represents. sunship. Authority, God's truth, as imparted to that authority and, and uh, sonship. A great white whirlwind appeared, and I saw horsemen and an army passing over us. The vision of the horsemen was in black and white. We were not allowed to look. Still in Proscineo I prayed, the covenant between the father and his sons i felt the authority that he gave us then i saw a light a great golden crown shining in the sky we got up and our bodies started to move under the effect of his glory that was pouring over all of us it was such a power that every fiber of my being was dancing two words were received in prayer under the purple blanket the the covenant that the Lord has for us and um, the word came to me that spoke about um, the the sea and the roaring of the west the sea and the west and I also heard ask and it was part of that understanding of Iteo which means to ask God as, as a partner, and to specifically pray for all of the Western nations. And I thought that was interesting. So you had three really profound uh, seers who were perceiving people on their face. Now why would this last one see color except for the, uh, the black and white of this army moving forward? I don't want to get into a teaching here, but what we've understood was that, um, of course, if you're not able to see that, it reminds you of Moses in the cleft of the rock. But the black and white feature has to do with things that were somewhat suspended during the time of the demonic rebellion. It had a form, but it did not have the the ways of God. It did not have the color. There, There was a vibrancy. I've been in intercession in this place, in some of these places a number of times, and it's as if things are suspended. And I believe that God is going to be fulfilling what his original intent was, that the enemy rebelled against. Some of those areas are frozen. Now, I know that Morningstar, many, many years ago, Bob Jones said that And his opinions on the second heaven—that that that was all in black and white. Well, I'm—he's not here anymore. I'm not going to talk with him about it. But the whole idea of the first, second, and third heaven is kind of an anomaly. Um, You know, the first heaven would be right here where we are. The second heaven would be the expanse of of what we would know as space between the earth and outward. And the third heaven would be the fulfillment. Anytime you get a three, you know, it's promise, selah, and fulfillment. And um, I know that there's a lot of warfare out in, in space. There are places out there that are going to be brought into question, according to what the scripture says, during the times of the end. But to me... All the black and white stuff that is kind of suspended are things that God is going to be revisiting and restoring for His kingdom. It's to me, it's part of the um, the penalty of the rebellion. I don't understand why God did things the way He did. I'm not questioning them. All I know is what I've what I've perceived. And I'm not putting it out as doctrine, but whenever you see a vision like this from a really trusted intercessory seer, I know that all three of these fit together. There was another word that, um, from another pocket of the saints, that lightning hit the saints while they were in prayer. You know, that could be this bright light. I, I don't know. Now, the other two, there were two other words. One was from, I'll just say, well, from a recognized prophet in this house. I'm not mentioning names, so I'm not going to start now. And this beloved one said that it was important for us to be functioning in praise, offering up praise for what we know God is going to do and what he is intending to for his people praise is waiting in zion so we praise the lord we give him thanks that's a foundation but we praise the lord for things not not yet brought about but will be and then in another part of france very dear sister had a very similar word he even used the same hebrew designation that we need to be offering that Hilla and that um, we must praise. So I'm just saying that tonight because we do value these words. We're so grateful for what God does during our first Saturday prayer time. And there were a lot of other great words that were submitted. You'll, you'll get to see the results of that when they're posted on, on the web. Uh, and that shouldn't be too much longer. We don't want to post it before other words come in. Um, Some people are notoriously slow in getting their words submitted. I'm not faulting them. I'm just saying that's the way it is. So we don't want to submit an an incomplete report. And we don't want to have to keep adjusting it. But um, for me, as I was contemplating this prayer time and I saw those three definitive terms that all seem to mesh together, as we come to pray tonight, I think we need to, and and even this week, we need to believe that God is covering us with the banner of sonship, the authority He's given us. We are before the throne. We're hearing the things that He is doing and He's wanting to do. And there's about to be a great burst of insight and Breakthrough for the um, the setting of the sun, the fulfillment of his glory and what he has promised to do and um, we need to know that there's a great there are great battles happening in the heavens there is a great army of the Lord that's been sent forward we're not to meddle in their business, but our prayers are partnering with that and in many ways enabling it. Pardon me. So, um, that's that's that. And if you didn't quite get all that, as soon as Uncle Scott posts this, you can hear it again and on archive and you can listen to it, you can pause it, rewind it. But that's that's what we have. So, I'm very grateful for the first Saturday prayer time. I'm grateful for these directives of what was happening real time during those moments of intercession and for what God is doing this week in prayer. You may want to pray on your face. Uh, we all should be gathered before the throne, whichever direction we're facing. <clears throat> but if we, you may want to lay towards the north, you, you may want to proclaim the banner of, of sonship over you, the banner of God's love. You may want to praise Him for the things you know He's promised, for the things that He might reveal to you as you're praying. Just open up and, and praise Him for them. That's, a, that's warfare. That's wonderful. And um, just believe that the things that we're believing in this breakthrough time are going to manifest themselves in dynamic and wonderful ways. So, we want to look today, as I said, at a sackcloth passage. I hope you've been, as you've been praying, I hope you've been reviewing what we've learned about sackcloth. And if you don't have the book or the booklet or whatever writing may be, you have your Bible. And you can look up sackcloth and you can just study it for yourself. That's what we're encouraging you to do. And I know that I know that, that is important for this time. It's like, it's like training for you, training in the things of the Spirit. But this passage talks about a time that was not a very good time, but it was a time of great victory. And um, it ended up being a a victorious thing. In 1 Chronicles 21, we find uh, that David had been tempted by the Lord. No, not by the Lord. Forgive me. I was reading, and I was... Uh, David was tempted by Satan. I know the Lord was watching. Pardon me. I am perfectly fine. Don't anybody get troubled that I'm blowing my nose? You know, I, I come up here after I've been doing other work. I've not really been speaking publicly publicly. And in the morning when you do that, sometimes your sinuses don't recognize that they should have awakened a couple of hours before. So that's what this is. I just have to tell you that you can keep praying for me, but I don't have a cold. I don't have COVID. I don't have the flu. I don't have anything. And by the way, let's keep praying for our brothers and sisters who are being attacked physically and in other ways this week the enemy is really trying every way he can to wear out the saints let's pray for one another if you sense the lord brings somebody to your heart pray for them you know i know that there were there were a number of things that were mentioned on sunday that people were going through and we we pray and we continue to pray you know my um my Son-in-law and daughter, their household is just getting over the newest strain of COVID. I hate that. But I'm glad they're recovered now. We heard from Arizona. Um, We pray for the Delaney's today. A similar attack is coming against them. We need to lift them up. You know, they're, they're supposed to be here next week. So they've got to shake this stuff and be free and out of quarantine so that they can come. It wouldn't be the same if we didn't have uh, those bright faces and wonderful parts of our network family, if if they couldn't be here. But we're praying for all of you, so as we're praying this week, let's lift up each other. So Satan provoked David. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, because our emphasis is on another part of this passage. And the provocation was for um, David to engage in pride and to number the people. Now, we know that Israel numbered themselves before, and that was by God's directive. So God isn't against numbering, but he sure was against whatever motive David had when he sent Joab out to, to number the people. And you know that <coughs> it must have been, the whole idea of this must have been bad because Joab, of all people, was troubled by it. And um, he, he questioned it. And in fact, Joab, did it grudgingly. Verse 6 of First Chronicles 21 said, he didn't count Levi or Benjamin um, because the king was abominable to Joab. Was it pride? Was it reliance on the strength of the nation and people instead of in God? We don't know, but for whatever reason, Satan wanted this to happen, and God, to say he took umbrage would be an understatement. So David is um, confronted (laughs) after he recognizes that God was displeased and God began to smite Israel. David, in verse 8, said, I have sinned greatly, God, because I've done this thing. And so the Lord speaks to Gad, G-A-D, a, a seer, a prophet. He's called both. And Gad is sent to David from the Lord to offer him three options for his uh, punishment. And eventually, um, David said, look, I just want to submit myself to the hand of the Lord because he has great mercy, and I'm repentant. And by this time, David and all of his, all of his leaders, are guess what they're wearing? Can anybody guess? Yes, I, I heard it was so loud. Sackcloth. They're all wearing sackcloth because they're repenting. They recognize that evil has been welcomed by by them. And all the elders in verse 16 fell upon their faces. Well, God God sent an angel and he sent pestilence and 70,000 people died over the course of of a three day period and these guys are on their face before the Lord and David says God you know I was the one who sinned don't don't lay this judgment on anybody else but me and God spoke to the angel and the angel's sword was stayed Now, it didn't stop there. Verse 18 says, The angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, and this is what we're we're reading now, verse 18, that David should go up and set an altar under the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. David went up at the saying of Gad, and which he spoke in the name of the Lord through the angel. And Ornan, who in uh, a parallel passage was called Aronia. Aronia, you got any? (laughs) It's just too funny of a name. I'll stick with Ornan. Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was still threshing wheat, and as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out to the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. And this is the famous passage. I need to buy this part of your land. I need to put an altar. And Ornan said, no, you know, I'll just give it to you. I'll give you the, the wood from, this, uh, from, from my plow here. I'll give you the animals, the sacrifice. I'll give you, um, I'll just give you the land and uh, you can have it. And it reminds me of when Elisha um, offered that sacrifice when he was called to go with Elijah and served up a feast. But David said, no, in the famous passage, I will not offer to God what costs me nothing. Well, let's talk about a couple things here. This is a Bible study, okay? This isn't a three-point sermon that tells you how to get all the things you want from God. Gad. You know, there's a passage of Scripture that says that all the things that David had done were recorded in the book of Samuel, the writings of Nathan, and the writings of Gad. People often think, myself among them, wouldn't it be great if we had those two books? I want to offer something to you here. Maybe we do. Because even though this is First and Second Samuel, and of course 1 and 2 Chronicles, and you have know, 1 and 2 Kings, Samuel did not write all of that. <laughs> Samuel died before David actually ascended the throne. You can look it up. Now, Samuel anointed David to be king when David was a young man. Samuel was older then. And by the time David actually became king, Samuel was really up there in age. And Gad then became a primary prophetic voice for David. And then we don't know really what happened to Gad, but then Nathan stood and became the prophet and the seer. Now there were other voices, you know, there were people in the saint uh, in the uh, tabernacle. They were all prophesying, doing different things. But those were the three prophets. That really attended to David. And then, of course, Nathan, he was the one that was instrumental in (laughs) preserving Solomon's uh, right to the throne. So this this is what we have. So Gad brings words. You know, he first comes on the scene and tells David, Hey, Saul's about to get after you and kill you. You better get out of this cave where you're in and you better go into this forest area. So David honors that. And, you know, Gad gave words like that, including this one, which is not a very pleasant one, but he heard from God. Nathan, he had some prolific times too. But here you have Gad. And this is a significant moment. Um, you have The nation and David, but David primarily, leadership, who sinned an egregious thing in conjunction with the enemy's plan. And it brought judgment. And David and his elders wore sackcloth and they repented. There's a lot of sin that needs to be repented for in this nation and maybe the lord is also asking ourselves to take a good look at our who we are and just go before him and repent before him you know i think that this whole sackcloth business is mourning and repenting but with an eye toward restoration and what God really wants. And we need to remember that this week as we pray. I think our nation is being judged. I mean, I think the world is facing some of the judgment of the Lord. It wasn't just 70,000, like in Israel, who died from pestilence. We've had millions who have died around the world and hundreds and hundreds of thousands who've died here in the United States I think this is a sign from God we have all kinds of other things going on that are real crises you know you have uh, I don't need to list them you can you can sense it these are days that the enemy has welcomed and influenced grievous decisions by leadership and by many of the people of God, many of the leaders of the people of what was the church just entered into covenant with the demonic. And God's not happy about that. Why would he be? So as we are on our face before the Lord and we're wearing sackcloth, <coughs> we need to believe for the miracle as we repent that God wants to bring through this. It's part of, it's part of the sackcloth. Uh, you know, we talked about how the spirit of judgment and burning is prophesied in Isaiah in regard to the filth of the daughters of Zion. I don't tell you in our day it's not just the daughters; it's the sons, and some who are daughters who think they're sons, and vice versa. That are in filth, and the spirit of judgment and burning from the Lord, God's purpose, and God's function, will rise upon that, and the glory of the Lord will be known for a season in this ever-evolving timetable of God for these end days. So, you say, well, here I am laying on my face wearing sackcloth, repenting. How in the world does that signify anything of victory? Out of that comes great things. Now, the angel tells Gad to tell David, you need to go to the threshing floor of Ornan. And we know that this eventually becomes the place where the first temple is constructed. Well, again, this is a Bible study, so let's just talk. Just us kids talk for a minute. Who is this Ornan character? Who is a Jebusite I thought the Jebusites were defeated in um, they were the the inhabitants of Jerusalem when David finally came to attack it what's what is this what is this history why are they still around and who were they anyway well here's an interesting and colorful picture now, the Jews believe that Mount Moriah is where this threshing floor was, and that this is the place, <coughs> excuse me, where Abraham was ready to offer Isaac. Okay? And um, now some of the other peoples around there think that that happened elsewhere. I'm not going to argue that. I'm just putting this forward, not trying to establish anything. I'm just saying that this is what's readily believed. When Abram went to rescue Lot, you have a character named Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, who comes because he's the king of Salem. This is obviously what the city of Jerusalem was called during the time when Abram was younger. Well, by the time um, Abram uh, has to say goodbye to his wife, Sarah, and she's dying, and she died, Abram was trying to find a place to bury her, so... He goes to the sons of Heth, who are the sons of Canaan, who are the lineage of Ham, who was the son of Noah. You got all that? And these guys were cursed, remember? Because Ham mocked his father, and when, and when Noah got drunk, and Ham found him naked, or whatever, and then... Shem and Japheth came backwards and covered their father. And when, somehow, when um, Noah woke up, he cursed not Ham, but Canaan, this, the son, the lineage of, of uh, Ham. Now, supposedly, no, not supposedly, the Jebusites, who were kin to the Hittites, who were also kin to a lot of otherites. We're all from that line. So Abraham is making this covenant with the sons of Heth to, to find a place to bury Sarah. I'm going somewhere with this, so just stick with me. So you can read this story. Again, this, the, the Hethites say, Hey, <clears throat> what is 400 shekels between you and me? And Abram says, no, I'm going to buy this. So he pays for the land. He buries Sarah in the cave. And here's where it gets interesting. The the Jewish historians say that at that time, Abram and these folks, the the Heth people, which became the Jebusites, made a covenant with one another that they would forever be, not necessarily allies, but that they wouldn't attack one another. And the Jewish historians say that when David came to Jerusalem, which at that point wasn't called Salem anymore, it was called Jebus, J-E-B-U-S, And they made that statement about, hey, you know, you won't even be able to beat the lame and the blind. And they're kind of mocking David. Now, the Jewish historians say that as part of the covenant with Abraham, that there was kind of a bronze, uh, that, that that their alliance, not alliance, but their peace treaty was written on a bronze tablet. And that these Jebusites had that up there in the center of the city. And not only that, but they made images of Isaac as a blind man and Jacob as a lame man. And so that when David encountered these people, yeah, they were mocking. And this is from the Jewish Tanakh Period. They they all were saying this. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just telling you what you may find somewhere that Rabbi Shlomo writes about. Um, if I ever meet Rabbi Shlomo someday, I'm gonna be so embarrassed. I don't even know if there is one, but that sounds right. So, what they were really referencing, according to the Jewish historians, was that. There was no way that David was going to be able to take that city because, and they were mocking him for it, because they had this covenant with Abraham. Now in David's mind, the Jebusites had been fighting against Israel since the time they tried to come into the land. So they were the ones that broke the covenant. And David makes this plea to his company and say, okay, the first one that goes in there and breaks the seal You're going to become a captain, and Joab said, okay, I will, and these historians say that Joab went, somehow got through, maybe through the water line, you know, the the aquifer that was underground, or through whatever. He emerges in the city, he breaks those, those bronze things and smashes or defaces Abram's covenant, and then somehow he, David breaks through. And that's how Joab became a mighty man in David's thing. Now, in David's army, I, I don't know how much of this is is really accurate. Kind of fills in the lines, you know. I don't really know what David meant in what the scripture says. Where it says, "Okay, the first guy through becomes a captain." Joab says, "I'll do it," and he does it. One of those sons of Zariah. I, you know, I I don't I don't know, but. The Jebusites, after they were defeated, somehow David allowed them, many of them, to serve, to to live there, but to kind of be secondary citizens. They weren't necessarily slaves, but they were servile. So Ornan is up there threshing wheat. This is for the purpose of feeding the city. And when David comes, he bows to him. And they make this agreement. David builds the altar. The angel's satisfied. It then becomes the place where tabernacle and temple are going to be built. Now, I just painted this picture of this history. Some of it, it, it might all be accurate. The scripture we know is, the the Jewish historians I don't know how much they embellish their stuff I I don't care what they do but the point is is that this city only God can remember the covenants that he makes with people and agreements I have noticed that God has a lot of odd friends I'm probably one of them they kind of Intercede and partner with him and serve him, and he doesn't ever forget that, just like he won't forget you. And I think it's just really prophetically significant that at this time of crisis, you know, all this think about this 70,000 people had just been slain. And Here's Ornan and his four sons, and they're threshing wheat. And he looks back and he sees the angel, but he's not cowering in fear. He's doing his job there on that holy place. Somehow, God remembers. God remembers what he's promised. God remembers what's been sown in remote places that may look like, oh, you know. We did all this. God came and moved. What great times we had. Now look at it. What, what's happening with it? God remembers those things. They're eternal. And if we'll be faithful, even in the midst of a challenging moment, God chooses those times in our humility and our contrition to birth something amazing. Only God could be judging the people after Satan has some influence that causes an egregious action. God can be meting out judgment, punishment. He can look down and see his people in sackcloth in the midst of that. The angel of the Lord can suspend the nastiness. And command for an altar to be made at a place that was historical in value. Amazingly historical. And then use that as the launching point for his temple. For the Davidic tabernacle. For the amazing things that God had intended to do all along. Do you see that? So right now, our nation and many other nations are terribly challenged. Why? Well, because I think first of all, God's timetable has foreseen all of this. But the... The igniter of it is the wickedness and the sin that the people of this nation and the people of the world have just been running after, and they still do. Terrible, heart-rending, grievous things that we see. Reminds me of Second Chronicles. It says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Then will I hear. I'll heal the land. We're, We're offering ourselves in sackcloth this week. We have to first take personal responsibility. We have to be contrite before the Lord. We can't get into the business of being able to point to all the things everybody else is doing and not have humility, and meekness, and contrition in our own heart. We need to go before the Lord and say, search me, forgive me, cleanse me. And we need to be people who are willing to be on our face in sackcloth, embracing that condition of darkness and submitting it to the Lord and welcoming the breakthrough of his presence. Now, I don't know how God is going to bring this breakthrough, but I do believe that we're offering an altar before the Lord this week, next week, and we are, we're really asking God to do what he is intended to do, do you believe that the angel directed Gad to speak about Oren's threshing floor just because it was convenient nearby? No. God ordained that place. And he remembered that place. Just as he has ordained you, the place where he has called you to establish his cross, and he remembers that place. And he will do what he promised, which is why our words prophetically from here at this house and from France state we need to be praising the Lord for what he has said he's going to do. And we need to lift those up before God. This is a sackcloth story. There's so many many dimensions of it. You have Satan influencing something, leadership falling. The judgment of God coming. God speaking prophetically, offering a measure of restitution. You have sackcloth with the the king and the elders. You have boy, it's just myriad. How many things? Directive prophetically to go and obtain this part of prophetic uh, sightship and, and to offer an, an, an altar there to God, which would then become the thing that David had longed to do to establish a temple, a dwelling place, which then Solomon would, would construct. Only God could cause a beginning point of that to happen in the mess we read about in this passage. And believe you me, it was a mess. You know, David and the elders are up there on the hill they're praying in sackcloth. They see this angel with a sword. You know, they saw it. Ornan saw it. The American people saw it. Bob Dole. Who's Bob Dole? Um. wonder what the people in the city were doing. They had thousands of people dead. That was a horrible thing. They were all fearful. I have no idea what inflation was during those days. But it wasn't a good time. If God can move then, on behalf of his eternal purpose, in spite of the failures, and we've all had them, that were existent in David What can he do now? This breakthrough that we have prophetically spoken about is is yet to come. We're on the doorstep of it. And I, I think that we, in our humble offering, are really believing God to use this, to accept this, and to... Take us into the next place of the development of his eternal will, the breakthrough, the visitation of his kingdom. To me, that's this story. So you have Satan influencing, David failing, Joab of all people, a most unlikely source, saying, no, that ain't right. And God judging, the response of appealing for God's mercy, the angel speaking this directive prophetically, it being done, and that was then the doorway to the establishment of tabernacle and temple worship. Phenomenal. Only God can do that. Now, which part of it are you looking at? Are you looking at the chaos? Are you looking at the way Satan is deceiving leaders? Are you looking at the challenges that are all around? The wickedness, and dare I say, the judgment of God? Or are you looking at contrition and obedience and prophetic submission to the word of the Lord and the transaction that has to be offered acceptable before the Lord to establish what we've all been looking and praying for, for years now. Which are you looking at? Can you believe out of the midst of the mess we see around us that God could move in a way beyond anything we've known? You look back at this passage that we've just considered, and you see see a horrific scenario. I can't even imagine seeing an angel... Looming over the city of Dallas, having a sword drawn in his hand, and people dying left and right. What a scene that must have been. Wow. But in the midst of it, on the face, in sackcloth, were people that... Or before God for an answer and for direction. So how do we pray during these days? Well, there are things that are coming against you. You need to stay strong. I say that to myself as well. There are things that are happening in our nation that are despicable, horrific, wicked, There are people in leadership that have agendas other than holy ones. This is a nation that largely does not know God and that in that curse his name and would like any mention of him to be stricken from the documents that founded this country. Do you think God's pleased by any of that? You know we got all riled up back in the late 60s and 70s when a major magazine had on the cover God is dead. And when John Len- Lennon said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Well, oh, we got riled over that, didn't we? Are we still riled When school districts are saying we can't say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore because it mentions God. When his word and his ways are mocked from pulpits from one end of this country to the other. Not all of them, but many. You think God loves that? You think he's happy about that? I know he doesn't. So what are we to do? Repent. Repent for this. Ask for God's mercy and for his visitation, for the breakthrough that we've been believing for. Ask him in contrition. And while you're at it, you've got you to ask God to search you. I've got to ask him to search me. And if there's any wickedness there, any sin I need to submit it to God because this sackcloth business works both ways. And I believe that we're already functioning on behalf of an angelic direction from the throne. I think the things that God has laid before us to do over these next two weeks... Are significant points, and there may, there'll probably be other directives coming. I think that some of the words that have been submitted from First Saturday that I mentioned earlier are things that we may want to emulate in our own personal life. Laying on our face, praising, looking forward to the breakthrough which the West represents. It's not just California, it's what the rest, the West represents from the rising of the sun to the going down. It's that formula of the visitation of the glory of the Lord. So that's the message for today. I encourage you to continue to pray. Be faithful. I don't know what you may be going through right now. Many of the afflictions are the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. I'm believing that. For me, for my family, for this church, for so many people in this church. I'm believing it for you. When you're weak, he's made strong. Before the seven ways of breakthrough, the enemy comes in one way. God is raising up his standard, and like a flood, it's going to overwhelm the enemy. That's coming. The key place in that whole schematic is what you're doing before the Lord in obedience to him. Before God does any great work, he looks for an intercessor. Everything begins with a voice. You're part of that voice. It's imperative that we look beyond, to look beyond what we're facing right now. And keep our eyes firmly fixed on the promise. God bless you today as you pray. Of course, for those in Dallas, don't forget the prayer time. But wherever you are, we welcome you to join whenever you can pray today. Let's continue to pray this week. And um, look forward to next week with seminar. Register, please. And uh, may God bless you. Keep on praying. Amen.